You're listening to Joe List's Mindful Metal Jacket on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. Hello there, everybody. Welcome to Joe List's Mindful Metal Jacket podcast. I appreciate you tuning in. This is uh, an episode where I sit down on my couch in my apartment with both my wife and my very special guest, Chloe Radcliffe, who is a wonderful comedian originally from Minnesota. She makes me laugh out loud. And uh, she is just one of the nicest and sweetest people I've ever met in my life. And I sort of hijacked her uh, for this episode. She was going, coming to my apartment to hang out with my wife, Sarah Talamash, the wonderful and lovely and beautiful, talented comedian who I live with and is my life partner. We, we make spiritual love together. But um, Chloe was coming over. She left her bike here at my house at a Christmas party. And then um, she was coming over to pick up her bike. And I said, hey, how about we record this hangout, which happens a lot with comedians. It's uh, out of control, the podcasting. But this is my new podcast, and you are listening to it currently, if you're hearing this. So thank you for listening. In this episode, I have to warn you that we only have two microphones. We have a splitter which is a device that allows you to put two microphones or three microphones, I guess, into a Zoom recorder, but we only had two microphones. So the splitter did us no good. So um, Chloe has her own microphone. I share a microphone with Sarah. So there's going to be a few moments in the podcast, and I know people are very particular about the sound quality in podcasts, so I'm apologizing, my sincerest apology to you. Yes, you, the person that's about to get upset a couple times um, Sarah will be uh, hard to hear for a moment because I have not yet get the microphone to her face. She'll start talking and then I'll move the microphone towards her. So there'll be a few little sound um, issues, but I don't think it'll be too much of a problem. I hope it's not too much of a problem. Um, but it was a nice conversation. Um, we talked about a lot of things, Chloe's upbringing and the importance of listening to your children and... Um, registering their feelings and such like that, things like that. And uh, it's really interesting. Chloe is a really interesting person and just a genuinely good person. She's one of those people you meet and immediately you feel um, drawn to or close to. So I hope that you feel that way and listening to her. We really enjoyed our uh, conversation and uh, also a very, very funny comedian. I just, we just did a show together in Fairfield, Connecticut and um, she came up and opened the show and did a better job than I would have even liked. She fucking murdered. And uh, it was not an easy follow. She was great. And uh, I LOL'd. So check out Chloe Radcliffe. She's very funny. But before you do that, check out this conversation I had with her alongside my wonderful wife, Sarah Talamash. And um, I think they both said things that you may find enjoyable and applicable to your life. And I hope that uh, this podcast uh, helps you in some way, if, if no other way than just to be enjoyable to listen to for a little bit. And of course, I'd like to give you a nice, hot Buddhist take quote before the conversation. And this is from Pema Chodron, whose name I think I'm mispronouncing on every single episode. And this, uh, this little insert, outsert, outskirt, upskirt, what is it called? Ah, got it, damn it. Excerpt is called Rejoice in Ordinary Life. We can learn to rejoice in even the smallest blessings 
our life holds. It is easy to miss our good fortune. Often happiness comes in ways we don't even notice. It's like a cartoon I saw of an astonished looking man saying, what was that? The caption read below, Bob experiences a moment of well-being. Get it? The ordinariness of our good fortune can make it hard to catch. The key is to be here, fully connected with the moment, paying attention to the details of ordinary life by taking care of ordinary things, our pots and pans, our clothing, our teeth. Yikes, didn't do that one. We rejoice in them. When we scrub a vegetable or brush our hair, we are expressing appreciation, friendship towards ourselves and toward the living quality that is found in everything. This combination of mindfulness and appreciation connects us fully with reality and brings us joy. Isn't that something? Isn't that nice, folks? It is. Let's take a moment to rejoice in the fact that we are privileged enough to be alive and breathing and you have some sort of podcasting equipment, an iPhone, most likely, or a laptop, and so you're doing okay. And in this very moment, you're just fine. You're okay. If you're listening to this, you're surely you're not on fire or sick or dying. Maybe you're dying, but we're all dying in a way, right? Anyways, we're all fine right now. Here is a conversation with the wonderful and hilarious and delightful Chloe Radcliffe and the equally wonderful and hilarious Sarah Talamash and myself. Thank you for listening. I love you. This is very exciting. We, that's Sarah in the background. Sarah, get close. This for this is a historic episode because this is my first ever episode with two different guests. Wait, with two, two guests or two women? Two guests. Well, you're the first woman. The show's new, so we've only recorded oh, okay, seven. Great. So you guys, Sarah's here. Hi, guys. And Chloe Radcliffe is also here. Hello. That's Chloe. I'll also do the thing where I put an intro. So they've already heard an intro. Amazing. Yeah. So I've, I've said a bunch of wonderful things about you. It was great. Uh, well. Sarah, this is why there's two people here. Sarah and Chloe were hanging and having lunch, and I hijacked their hang to record my podcast, <laughs> which feels very Truly. 21st century to be like, I'm going to let's record this hangout. And then I kept telling Sarah, remember your splitter so we could have us all three of us on, but we only have two microphones. We, we, didn't, we got the splitter, but we didn't even think about the adding a mic to it. No. <laughs> it's like stupid. Luckily, it's a slow-paced <laughs> podcast, so... You should just have Sarah and I do the... You yeah, yeah, you guys should do it, and I'll just sit here. Um, but so when Sarah has something, maybe raise your hand or, or touch my leg or... Well, I was thinking, like, when we had our get-together this weekend, that I thought it would be funny to be like, all right, guys, everyone's doing a podcast one at a time in the room. <laughs> like, what? how... That would be, like, the worst hang ever. It actually sounds like a pretty good idea. It's like, you just have, like... We're recording bonuses in there, so every 30 minutes... And you then there's a waiting out. room. Yeah, yeah. You just kind of go out. I mean, people do that with, like, sex parties. We could just do it with a podcast yeah. party, you know? Is that how a sex party works? I kind of just made that up as I'm going, but I feel that's... like sex parties is more... There's sex in the waiting room, right? I would think that there's sex happening everywhere. I don't really know. I've never been to a sex party. Sarah, you've been to a bunch. I have... Um, they're never as organized as that, yeah. a waiting room. You've been to a bunch? No, I've never been to one. Oh, damn. <laughs> That would be fun because we're also I'd like to be a fly on the wall on those though because I find them. I used. To, do you remember that show? Uh, what was it? Real sex. Real sex on HBO. Oh, um, I 
we never had HBO. Okay. But I know what it is. Yeah. It's just real sex, right? Yeah. It was all like <laughs> weird subcultures of New York that involved sex that you Oh, was it all like, New York? Mostly. Yeah. I mean, they would delve into other places, but it felt like all the man on the street stuff was New York. Sure. And it was probably easier for HBO just to do in their backyard. And also, this is probably the only place I don't think you can go to Milwaukee and be like, excuse me, do you have a fist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, we haven't, that hasn't reached us yet. <laughs> All right, we got to get back on topic here. What is this? <laughs> We're losing the, uh, this, is, this is about mindful sex, which is also a very positive thing to do. Anyways, uh, welcome to the show, Chloe. Thank you. This is exciting. We're breaking barriers here. Our first woman guest Ta-da. Again, we're only <laughs> this is only the sixth episode, and uh, although this really is a white guy horned in on two women hanging out and was like, "Can I record you?" I know. I really kind of uh, yeah. I apologize. I brought. <laughs> well, here's that. This is what I thought. I thought you'd be a great guest for the podcast. Thank you so much. I will be. Yeah, and I don't want to make you come all the way here twice because then I, we would have to I'd see you and be like, "Why don't you come all the way back tomorrow?" Yes. And uh it's far. And the reason uh, you're here is you left your bike here. I did. I know I and not on accident, on fully on purpose. Yeah. yeah. It's a George Costanza move, the leave behind. Right. I got to come back. And now, was, we're, now we're real friends. It felt like we uh were kind of like dog sitting but with a bike. Yeah, it was pretty easy. Did you take her out? Once a, to, a couple but then days. It was really nasty the last few days. Yeah, it's okay. So Sorry, did she make a mess in the house? Yeah, there's uh yeah, she took a huge I shit in the kitchen. I know, no, it's funny I actually. Her. I was so worried because it's a, I mean, it's obnoxious to have a bike. It it's, wasn't that, it's not that bad. It's big and it's clunky and it falls over and it, the wheel, you know, nothing locks and it doesn't have a kickstand. It doesn't have a kickstand. That's the one thing. Yeah. I even asked you, does it have a kickstand? I know. I, when I transitioned to this bike and it didn't have a kickstand at the bike shop, I was like, you people are crazy. Yeah. Every other bike I've ever had had a kickstand. Doesn't it feel like having a kickstand is like true bicyclists would look down upon yes, you for it having is. a It's like the amateur move. Yeah. Which I don't understand why that's such an amateur move. I also don't really. But it feels like it. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, do you want us to talk about mindfulness? For God's (laughs) sakes here. What is going on? I have a bike that lives in uh, Houston. I bought a $450 bike because we wanted to go riding bikes. Sarah has a bike. I didn't have a bike. So I just bought the cheapest bike they had. It was like 400 bucks and I've ridden it three times. Why didn't you buy a used bike? Because there was a bike place like down the street. I get very impulsive. Sure. And so I was like, let's ride bikes. I don't have a bike. We looked up. There's a bike store like a mile away. And I went and just bought that bike. So we have a really nice bike. But bicycling, doesn't that make you mindful? Yes. <laughs> it's a very... Mindful activity. Yes. <laughs> there you go, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, all right. So we got we to gotta, we gotta get into it here. Yeah. We're, here with, uh, we're here live with Chloe Radcliffe. I think also because we knew a little <laughs> bit of your background information. And then this is Joe's and I's observation that we feel about you. We feel like you're one of the most well-adjusted people we've ever met because you're always very comfortable wherever you're at. It's almost like you have a quality that I like where when you're hanging out with somebody, you feel like you've always known them. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Yes, we have fallen in love with you as a couple. (laughs) I know, truly. And you two are sitting, are like sort of cuddling together on the couch and I'm sitting over here. Is this an interview for a sex party? I can't tell. We have one microphone. We would like to see if you'd like to have sex with us here at the... uh, (laughs) um, Which, by the way, I felt bad. We got to focus on the thing. But I felt bad because you and Stavros left together. We were all like, hey, leaving together. And I was like, this is one of those things that's fun in the group. But then you guys do have to be one-on-one as soon as this is over. But what was helpful was that you... Um, said that exact thing out out loud. And I think that 
I mean, speaking of like being comfortable in situations, part of it is making other people feel comfortable. Right. And that is a move that makes other people feel comfortable. Oh, thank you. Well, I try to make everyone feel comfortable. So we met, well, I throw, put together these Central Park uh, hangs. I think this is where we met. My apologies mm -hmm. if it's not where we met. But we, I try to put together these hangs to get everyone together, which I always have a theory in saying, if this were a festival, because all these comics live in New York, and yeah. if we were all at a festival, everyone would just be like, where are we going for lunch tomorrow? What are we doing tomorrow? Yeah. And meanwhile, there's 5,000 of us living in New York, and no one ever gets together. Yeah. And it feels like at least once a month we should get together. Once a week, probably more like it. But anyway, so you came... I, I do have a fantasy of living in a place big enough to have at least monthly, if not like biweekly Sunday brunches that are just like open to everybody, to, to everybody I love and not to anybody I don't love. Yeah. And then it's just like whoever shows up, shows up and that's it. Well, that's how my idea, my other podcast Tuesdays with Stories came about. I had this idea of getting comics together on Tuesday afternoons because a lot of people are traveling Monday right? and you get together at a diner and then everyone discusses where they were that weekend. Mm -hmm. Like what you do. Oh, I hate that booker who opened for you. I got heckled. Yeah. And it would be called Tuesdays with stories. We all kind of sum up our weekend and it was just too hard to organize comics and get them together yeah. on a weekly basis, particularly. And then podcast came along and I was like, I could do this as a podcast. Mm -hmm. Now that's barely what we do. We just talk about cum and, and AIDS and stuff, but whatever. But anyway, so you showed up. I don't I don't know who told you how you got there, but you ended up at the Central Park hang. Yeah, I think it was probably through Tom Takar. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes, I think I think he asked me, for like, which I always feel weird. It's one thing at a home, but when someone's like, can I bring so-and-so? And I'm like, well, we're in the park. Like, yeah, you yeah. can just come. There's 30 bucks. Like domain, like, yeah. just come. Yeah. Um, give, me, give me an elbow when you got something. Okay. Or maybe we should just get close like John and Paul. Um, but anyway, so you came, but you, yeah, I, I would like to reiterate, Sarah, you have this quality of like, I'm here and it's whatever and we're well, all you. part of the group. And this is we, a great podcast. Yeah. I love this. Well, we talk about. <laughs> I'm going to start a podcast that's called Compliment yeah. Me. <laughs> it's, it's nice. Well, you're a very nice person, but we thought, like we talked about it just like, you must have good parents. Not that we have bad parents, but and then you mentioned that your parents met at a transcendental meditation retreat. Yes. Tell us tell us about it all made sense after that. Yeah. Yeah. Well it sounds like your parents are mindful quality they're still together? They're not. No, they were. Damn it. <laughs> no, but well, so I mean the, I I'll this is the like five minute overview. The two minute overview. They yeah, my parents were together. They met both of my parents are like hippie like like Woodstock hippies. And um like my mom cuts my hair on certain, my mom cuts my hair, first of all, but she likes doing it on certain phases of the moon because it is better for my energy or something. Oh, wow. Yes. Like, like deep, deep, deep rabbit hole hippies. Yeah. And, um, they both, I just found out my mom saw Andy Kaufman do his routine at a T he, he did TM and they were at a TM teacher retreat and he did his routine before he was famous for everybody at this TM retreat. And she watched it and was like, that was weird. Oh, wow. Did she enjoy it? Because I always feel like I would have hated Andy I asked, Kaufman. I know. I asked if her. If I was a comic. She was like, she was like, I don't know. We all kind of didn't get it. We all thought it was kind of weird. Yeah. I just think as a comic, this is also like a sidebar about comedy. Like if that guy was around, I'd be like, fuck that guy. Yes. I'm trying to do my act. And yes. he's reading The Great Gatsby and going over his time, this yes. piece of shit. Yes. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm holding the mic close. I'll, yeah, you let me know. All right, great. Yeah. Uh, anyway, okay. so that's so they were in that world, uh, and they were together for 
like six years, had me split up like a year later. We're never married. Um, so the split was easy. My mom just took me in a paper bag and left and I, and brought me, I have no idea. And brought me back to, uh, Minnesota where she was from, but neither of them ever seriously dated. Neither of them ever, ever remarried or even seriously did it as, as far as I know. It's interesting because like, uh, do you know, Jack Cornfield, are you into this Buddhist mindful scene or not uh-uh. too much? All right. Well, I just assumed you knew all these people because of your parents. Well, but- I think it's, I think there is actually a split between Buddhism and then the world that TM is in is like basically like mystic Hinduism. It's, it's more related to Hinduism than Buddhism, which uh, from our perspective, I mean, I don't know from over here, it's sort of like, ah, 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 sure. Yes. It's all the same, but it, yeah, yeah. I think it's actually two different, two relatively different worlds. So I don't have a ton of exposure to like Buddhism, Buddhism. Well, okay. So the, I, I'm big into uh, all these Buddhist guys and Jack Cornfield is one of them, but I remember reading his book and he talks about being divorced like recently. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of you that's like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> like, what the hell? Divorced. You're like, you're out of here. Like you should be discredited. It yeah. feels like. Yeah. Like divorced. What? It was all this. And then he kind of talked about it. Like people say to him, like they can't believe he's divorced. And it's an important thing to remember with mindfulness and Buddhism and therapy. That's like that there's not. It's not like you're indestructible. Like you're still a human being. That's right. the whole point of studying is that we're human. We have flaws and things do happen. Whereas in my mind, I'm like, it's a good lesson for me. Cause I always think if I meditate enough or if I study enough, I'll feel no pain. I'll just be the Zen yes. figure, which is actually the opposite of Zen is this desire to feel nothing. And I think that's actually, I, I would love for my dad to listen to you say that sentence, because I think that's how my dad feels. I think my dad has a lot of stuff that he, I mean, my dad has never been to therapy or has been to therapy once maybe, but, um, and he has a lot of shit and had and turned to meditation as a way to calm all of that but i think it has just sort of been a calming i think it's been you know it's been an anchor for him very much so but i think it's been more of that sort of anchor through the storm rather than processing the storm itself right yeah there's this thing about whereas my mom is very much processed the storm and she's who i grew up with right and so th- yeah we've got like yeah well that makes sense it's kind of like with when they say with when you you feel like when you quit drinking that you've solved all your problems, mm-hmm. but you're just treated the symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes meditation, if you're just doing that, but not other stuff, then you're just treating your right. symptoms. Right. Yeah. And what a good thing to be doing. Like what a good, what a useful tool, but it's you, one step. it's one step. Yeah. 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 It's the first step of recognizing like, oh, I am sitting here. I am filled with rage as I sit here. And then you're like, what am I angry about? Yeah. And then oftentimes, I mean, that's with, with therapy. You're like, I mean, I have this a lot in therapy where I'm like my tooth, I'm worried about my tooth. My tooth hurts and it's sore and I don't know what to do. And then you start like peeling away layers and it's like, I'm actually afraid that no one loves me. Yeah. It's not my tooth at all. My tooth does hurt. Yeah. But yeah. it's that no one uh, loves me. But Sarah loves me. Yeah. I love you. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Um, but anyway, I don't, we went fucking quickly and now off into I love my... You too. Thank you. I appreciate that. I love you. Um, but anyway, so we'll go back, I guess, to... Well, I don't so even know where to go back to. This is, so my but you're very mom, well I mean, adjusted. This is sort of the processing the storm thing. My mom and I used to... like as So it was just... I'm an only child... I grew up with just my mom. My dad actually, my dad came and visited Minnesota a lot, a ton, like almost once a month. I would go out to the East Coast to spend time with him over the summers or over holidays or whatever. But 
it really was predominantly my mom and I. And like once a week, we had processing time since I was, I mean, since like before, way before I can remember. Oh, wow. We had processing time where we would like talk about my feelings. We never talked about her feelings. It was a very one, one directional relationship. But that's actually probably good because it's like, I don't want to, I don't need to put my feelings on a child. Right. Right. She's like, I'm feeling desperate and alone. You're like, what? <laughs> right. And I'm sure she was a lot. Like she just but broke boundary, like cross boundaries <laughs> with her issues. You're like, geez. <laughs> yeah all right mom i mean that sounds incredible yeah yeah and she i mean she tells the story of anytime my dad would visit then for the few days after he would leave and this this was when i was like three and four i would be a little shit for a couple days until finally it would like result in a fight between us and then i would start crying i would process and then we would talk about my dad it turns out that all of my shittiness was really just related to my dad leaving mm. I would cry and then I, then we'd be better until he came back a month later or whatever. But so we would have that. And so I remember like being six and talking about how Holly Hoffman was mean to me. And then my mom was like, well, it's probably that she's shy. It a hundred percent is Holly. If you're listening, I think you're great. I was like, we can, we can bleep that if you want. <laughs> she was poor Holly is like driving in a car right now. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. She's like, I don't remember ever talking to Chloe. And that was the problem. But but yeah. so it's like that kind of stuff. And then I would and my mom was also very good about that. If I was upset about something like my trigger was always if I'm unreasonably pissy, then it's probably that I'm or if I'm like taking stuff out on my mom, then I probably have something bigger to process. And she was very good about saying, like, if we can't if we have to go somewhere or if I if, you know, if there's a thing that we have, like if there's some reason that we can't take time to cry right now. Mm-hmm. My mom would say, okay, you promise your higher self that you will deal with this. You will feel this. You will walk through it or whatever, but you can't right now and you need to do it at a better time. So let's say we can do it. You know, we'll do it tomorrow. Promise yourself that you'll do it. And now we got to go do, you know, we got to go to school or whatever. Absolutely amazing. And it's like the one thing that I was talking with my therapist about of like, well, how do I get that, like that feeling of self-confidence? And it was really just like, oh, because your feelings were never taken in consideration when yeah. you were younger. And that's why you have a hard time asking for stuff because you don't feel like it, it, you just never had that um, moment to do all that stuff. And that now you're just like, that's what it should just be called processing time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's also hard because, uh, again, we have the same therapist. And have you ever, did you ever go to therapy? I have. I went to child therapy twice. Or, or like with two different child therapists, um, one who I saw more than the other, but only as a kid. I haven't been as an adult. So this is another thing, like speaking of what Sarah was just talking about, what you're talking about is now like Sarah and I always talk about what we, together and then in therapy is like we have this sort of vague emptiness or sadness mm. about us. Like mm-hmm. as you're in life, you're just kind of like, I don't know why my baseline is sadness a lot or of the time fulfilled or dissatisfied or yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And then you realize it's like, and through therapy, it's like, we didn't get a lot of the things we needed as a mm-hmm. child. And the problem is, or not, maybe not the problem or the issue is you cannot change. That's always there. There's yeah. not something you can do now to get that back because yeah. that is how you were raised. And that's what you got from your family. So even if you confront your parents now or you can grow and have that now, which would be great. That would be a positive if you had, what did you call it again? Processing time. Processing time. Yeah. It'd be great to have processing time now with our parents as is, but we didn't get it as children. Yeah. yeah. And so it's forever lacking. Forever. The, right. The most you can ever do is do it for yourself. 
right. which is which will never quite feel the same as having had it all on. No, and one thing that I do a lot in my life, and I've now just realized that it's um, trite, maybe is the word. I'm so bad with the word. I seem so smart, but I, I want to be smart, but I'm dumb. Is, uh, Sheep stomach. What I've been trying to do for so long is replace that with other relationships, but you can't replace relationships where if you're not getting something from your partner or from your parents or from whoever it is, you can't go and get it from someone else. Mm -hmm. Like if you're in a relationship where you're like, oh, my husband doesn't uh, care about um, my work life, but I just talked to my dad about it instead. That's no good. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't actually work. You can't just replace needs with other people because you need it from that specific person. Right. So, so you have Which, to uh, And so assert. many people say like, well, one person can't be everything to you. You, you use different, fr you know, different friends are different people to you and different parts, you know, and, and I do think that's, I, I've always sort of had to, like, that's always rankled me and I, great word. Yeah. And on my part, <laughs> I don't even know that that's a word. I mean, rankled? Just, that's a word. Wrangled? Rankled. Rankled with a K. Yeah. What does that word mean? R-A-N-C-K-L-E-D. Sarah, do you know this word? I don't know. I'm going to have to look it up. You guys no. touch that. And I don't know what it means. Well, you, you guys have to look decide. it up. Chloe's going to tell us. Rankled. I think it's just like bothered. <laughs> I oh, could okay. have said bothered, right. but yeah. I decided to show off. Hell but yeah. I've always... I loved it. <laughs> I've, yeah, I've always really sort of taken issue with the like, you know, no, no one person can be everything for you. Because yes, I understand that in concept. But also, it is the kind of thing where it's like, I think that can be used as an excuse to allow people to not shitty to you yeah yeah to be yeah. shitty to you or to not fulfill what you need yeah and there's there's also a thing of like um they can't be everything to you but you're like but i do need this from you yeah and so yeah. that's like a lesson that we're both learning now and that people should learn is that like in relationships not just like a uh you know life partner relationship but a friend or a therapist or a manager or a boss or whatever it is podcast partner is that you need to be clear of what you need from that person yeah. Which it sounds like your mother maybe also instilled that as well in you to some degree. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think so. Although that I think about like, I guess I'm thinking about it in terms of romantic relationships. And I didn't have a real framework for that in romantic relationships until I just was mean to a bunch of boyfriends. And then now finally, I'm in a very healthy relationship where I am finally good at saying like, this is exactly what I need. This is exactly what I'm feeling right now. Oh, exactly so you weren't really thinking. good at uh, expressing what you needed, but it, the meanness came from, would you say, passive aggressive? Uh, yeah. Well, my pattern in relationships has always been, I've always dated um, people. The power dynamic has always been 100% in my favor. I date people who like will fall in love with me instantly and who will never leave me and who care about me more than I care about them. Yeah. And I would have been a great candidate. <laughs> <laughs> you just described me in every relationship. And I, I know I was like, that sounds pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it sounds great. And then, but then I would just sort of like run roughshod over them. I would just kind of do whatever I wanted. Yeah. And so finally, like now to be in a relationship where I'm like, oh, you might leave me. No, wait, what? That's not what it's, it is. It's like new to me. Yeah. It feels vulnerable. Yeah, I've yeah. never, I always protected myself from that vulnerability. That's exactly yeah. what it is. Sarah, I won't leave you. Thank you. That's 
rather. Okay. <laughs> even, even though we're sharing one mic, I think. <laughs> we have to. We only have one microphone between us. So, um, okay. So, you're, and is your mother still actively a meditator and stuff? And then do Both you, of my parents are, yeah. And do you meditate also? I do when I'm home and I do sometimes when I'm by myself, but I'm really bad about it. I'm I'm not consistent about it at all. And I think it would be better for me if I was. Can I ask, how did your mom get into it or how did your parents get into it? Um, that's Is it actually, just like a relative, because trans, med, trans meditate, transcendental, transcendental meditation. Like, yeah, TM. Sounds like people, it, that's why I wanted to say TM, but then yeah. I was like, most people, I don't know if most people know that it's TM. So how did they get into it? And then also, because it feels like this is a relatively new thing, although it's been around for a long time. Yeah, TM. <laughs> my God, my parents were just talking about the so new into comedy like every comic that you know is slowly getting into tm yeah yeah i went to a i only know two and seinfeld so, yeah i Glazer, saw seinfeld. seinfeld are they Are all they talking about veter doing it oh yeah yeah um it just slowly seems like a lot of people are um getting into it becoming the thing around the community yeah well, seinfeld said if he was do if he had been doing tm in the 90s he'd still be doing seinfeld now i think he said something like that that he loved it that much or wow. maybe something I don't know he said something I'll kick this part out because I don't know what the quote is <laughs> Seinfeld likes TM oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> um my well both my parents were like got were just like deeply embedded in the counterculture movement like both have been pepper sprayed in Vietnam protests both have been you know like in yeah. both both have separately backpacked across the country like hitchhiked across the country that kind of stuff and so I think just in that world my, I mean, my mom left home when she was 17. She, she learned to meditate when she was 16. And I guess she would bike into Minneapolis from the suburb where she grew up. She would bike in and go to TM centers. And the and TM, the like movement when they joined is was much more firmly rooted in the whole cosmology than the movement than than meditation is now. Now it's I, I and I don't know, like I would be interested to talk to Vitor about his experience of the movement now, because my my understanding is that it's much more like here's a thing that is good for stress. Whereas like my parents are in the world of, um, for like of past lives and yeah, of right. this one's like soul cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Capitalism. Right. Exactly. No, truly. And yeah. they, and they both talk about how, like, as soon as like money started really deeply influencing the TM movement as a whole, that's when it like got pretty fucked or that's when it, that's when it just like sort of got divorced from what it was. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it used to be, my, there's, there, there is this, there are these things called cities, which I believe is S-I-D-D-H-I. Oh, uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, yes, yes. Big collection Now of you're buildings. talking my language. <laughs> <laughs> um, and cities are like quite literally what we would think of as magical powers where, and like, so like there's a city of commuting with animals. There's a city of healing. There's a city of walking through walls. There's a city of like, of levitation, all of these. And the idea, the cosmology is that like, if you do TM, if if you become enlightened, you can learn these cities and you like, you know, you live on light and air as a yogi in the mountains, whatever, all that kind of stuff. So like, that's the world that my parents are in and that I was raised in. And I think that's very different than the like pay $4,000 to learn TM now. Yeah. Right now. So your parents must be older. Old. Yeah. yeah. So cause you're a young person. I'm 29. Okay. Yeah. So my they parents must were 36 and 43 when I was born. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's almost the age we are. 
That's probably why they also had a better grasp of like being able to communicate their feelings. Cause don't you feel like when you're young, even from like outside of high school to maybe when you're 30, you kind of lack self-awareness and like thinking about other totally. people and where you are, totally. like why are you, you're behaving the way you are until later. So totally. it makes you feel like that's probably was good that your parents were a little bit older. Yeah, absolutely. That. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so you never, you never did the TM thing. I well, I learned no as a kid. I got a child's mantra. You can't oh, learn officially until you're twelve. But as a, so, like as a little, like I think I when I went to kindergarten, I went to kindergarten when I was four because I was very smart. And <laughs> my mom gave me a child's mantra for me to like repeat in my head if I was ever stressed. Right. And then I got a different mantra when I was tw- when I learned when I was twelve. It's like a ten day course of learning and. Right, right. So did you do it through? middle school and high school and totally stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah oh wow yeah. yeah i've done it since i was 12 and so you think you carry some kind of a, a base line of that even if you're not actively meditating do you think it's affected you disposition? Uh, i don't i wonder i for me meditation has always only been just like very restful right and it is it does feel like a deep kind of rest and they talk about how like 20 minutes of transcending is the same as, you know, a few hours of sleep or That's whatever. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Um, but short of that, like I've never had any, you know, real wild experiences, but I do. But, so I think that probably just all contributed to feeling relatively grounded and well-adjusted. Right. Now, do you get anxiety? Cause you seem like a person, obviously this is not true, but you seem like a person that does not get anxious or upset whatsoever. Um, I (laughs) seem like a person that just is floating around. Yeah. Yeah. You're just enjoying it all. I think I got a a very magnanimous smile. I would say fantastic. That's usually there. This is the best. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what you are. Whereas like, I feel like Sarah and I, if you stop talking to us for a moment, we're staring at the ground and you're like, are you all right? And you're like, yeah, yeah. Where did you go? (laughs) Yeah. Like I have like just wrinkles of just fucking God. Or a lot of zoning out during conversation is not because I'm bored. It's just because I'm like, just thinking about like, well, that was a weird comment from earlier. You know what I mean? Like I'm never in the moment. Yeah. I feel like you're a lot of, it feels like you're in the moment a lot. I think I'm in the moment a lot. Yeah. Um, I for sure do get, anxiety and stress and I get upset and what I get mad, I get pissy, whatever. Um, but I do know also that like, I'm very good at coping with my anxiety. And so I, I actually think that makes me one of my like big blind spots is that I'm, I have a real hard time being empathetic toward anxiety because I'm like, well, why can't you just like figure that? I mean, like, of course I feel it, but I walk through like, okay, what's the worst case scenario here? Either that's never going to happen or it's actually not that bad whatever yeah that's funny because it took me and still working on it two years of therapy 100 bucks a week 45 minutes a week to get to the point of like well just accept your worst fear what's the worst that could happen here and then you're just like yeah i just have that's what i thought of i'm like shit i still can't get it through my head well like but my i have this thing where like again like going back to teeth as an example which is a running theme throughout the show because it's a running theme throughout my life but like i'll be like my tooth hurts i need three root canal i had a root canal yesterday and you a did? filling yesterday. Well, I had the second appointment of a root canal, which is actually worse than the first root canal. You yeah. ate just fine today. I ate on the other side, yeah, uh, but I'm sore, but I'm doing much better. Sure. Whereas, like, yeah, normally I appreciate you responding that way because that's how six months ago, a year ago, I would have been like, "Don't let anyone in the house." I had a root canal. I need seven days to sit under the bed and yeah. cry. Um, but my therapist will be like, 
I for, I forget that I can handle things, that I understand how to handle things. Where I'm like, what if uh, this show I bomb, or what if my tooth falls out, or if I need a root canal, or if I have diabetes, whatever it is. And it's important to remember, like, yeah, you'll just handle that. Yeah, you'll be able to yeah. handle that thing. And uh, that's like a, the hardest thing for me to remember. I'm always afraid something's going to happen, and then everything's going to come off the rails. Uh, my wife will leave me, my house will burn down, and I'll sure. die. But and at that point, you'll be dead, and it'll be fine. Exactly. Accepting your worst fear. All the problems are over with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I recently I I stayed up until three a.m. because I was thinking about um, like just late in you know late in bed, eyes wide open. Because uh, both my parents live alone. My mom's in Minneapolis. My dad's in Baltimore. And I was like, oh, if either one of them, and now they're 65 and 73, seven, yeah, whatever, whatever they are. Um, and so I was like, oh, if both, if either of them die, probably their bodies would just be there for a long time. Like probably nobody would find them right away. And that like kept me, oh my God, I, it freaked me out. And then Jeff, my boyfriend was like, well, at that point, it doesn't matter to them. And somehow, weirdly, that was like the thing that made me feel better about it. I was like, yeah, it'll be like very sad for me and gross and hard, but I can deal with that. I don't know if I really can, but yeah. I can figure it out. And then they, and they won't have suffered anymore. Yeah, you'll you'll we'll, we'll all deal with it. Like Sarah's dad has been sick recently and it's obviously very hard and emotional. And Sarah will be like, I can't deal with this. And it's like a thing of like. Yeah, but you can. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's know. that's the feeling is we have a lot is that like I can't deal with like whether it be our parents passing away or us getting sick or a, a dental appointment or yeah. a show. Yeah, is this you have this feeling of like I can't handle this and you're like no you you in fact are currently yeah handling it yeah right yeah sorry to bring up <laughs> the worst topic that's fine yeah but you're I, gonna be all right we'll be all right right yeah. yeah. It's weird. Do you want to talk more about it or no? You don't have to. Oh, no, it's fine. Well, no, it is. It, right now, it doesn't feel like I'm dealing with it because I, I feel like I, I'm kind of separated. But I feel like when I go back home for the holidays, it'll be really hard. Yeah, of course. And that's the thing is like all these things be. are hard. Yeah, and doing that sucks, but that's hard. And doing a late night set is hard. On. Right. And driving in the snow is hard. But we've done it. We'll we'll. We'll deal with it. Some things, obviously, considerably harder than others, yeah. but um, we're, we're we're dealing with it. We'll be all right. Yeah, it was m about a year ago. Uh, my next door neighbor killed himself, and they didn't find the body for a week, and it smelled very, very bad. This is in New York. This is in New York, and um, th this. I mean, the smell was like, and I grew up in the woods, and so I thought I knew what I was like. It'll smell like. When, when like a squirrel dies in my wall and it really did not smell like that. Is this, this is so weird. I've always wanted to know what that smell is because they say, you know, when you, you know. It's funny. Nobody knew. Everybody just thought it was bad garbage. Oh, it wow. didn't. And to me, it did not. It's I mean, once you knew, I heard you were it was like one of the worst smells that you could ever is. smell. No, it is. But if you don't know what it is, like my friends who would come would were, would be like, wow, the garbage on your street smells really bad. And if I didn't want to, if they were people who I was like, I'm not going to tell you. Then yeah. I just was like, yep, anyway, let's go inside. <laughs> but So you knew it was a dead body? No, not yet. I didn't until know until later. I didn't know Hindsight. for the week. But but also it was it smelled the worst, you know, the day or two leading up to when they found him. And then after they found him, it just it reeked for months. Uh, but I was but this all comes back to the <laughs> short of <laughs> um 
I was like, wow, after, after like a week I had gotten used to it and it's, it smelled awful, but it also was like, well, that's what my sidewalk smells like now. Like that's what the front of my apartment smells like now. And, um, it made me be like, and this is such a like small, tiny thing to have to make me have this thought. But I was like, oh, people just get used to living in war zones. People get used to living in death camps. People get used to like whatever it is. It's crazy how adaptable, how like perseverant uh, people are. Oh, yeah. Well, like that they say that with like people like measuring happiness that you could be like, well, at least I, I feel like I have a better life because I have all my legs. But then you realize, well, like. Yeah, people can have their leg missing, but then they get used to it and they go back to their normal yeah. state again. Yeah. yeah, which could be pure joy and happiness. They're just yeah. like, yeah, I'm a happy person. Like if you yeah. lost both your legs, you'd probably after it would a short period take of some time. Yeah, yeah, yeah after yeah. a short period of time, you'd be like this again. I think. Yeah, I hope so. I you'd think so. I hope so. Miss walking, probably for sure, but. Nah, and people cycling. get to push me around. Yeah, yeah, it's actually better, really. So if you got no legs out there, folks, you're uh, you're doing fine. But yeah, it, it is. Yeah, now I get to date a guy who will never leave me for a whole different reason. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's definitely, uh, yeah, your mind adjusts. I feel that way, even like with, um, I think people like get sick. That's like this the stages of... Um, grief is that like there's like denial and then anger and then eventually it's acceptance i mean that's like a natural mm-hmm. thing of like all right i got this now i'm missing an arm or i have whatever it is yeah and then you know some of those things kill you and then you adjust to that do you feel like that's you're easy to adjust good to. at acceptance uh it takes me time like i have herpes and like people were blown away by how quickly my all my problems are um, anticipatory or like, mm. or um, what do you call that? Hypochondria. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm much better when someone's like, you have this. Once you know, you can solve it or address it thing. or whatever. Yeah. Which is like what we were talking about before with, with a lot of the listeners know about my reflux is that like, it's gotten better in the last few weeks of like understanding, okay, this is now a thing I have and I deal with where before I was trying to get back to a hundred percent, but like with getting herpes, I adjusted to it Almost immediately, a couple of days, like I was like, oh, this sucks. I hate myself. Also, it was extremely painful. But there was a thing of like, all right, I can't unhave this. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. And somehow that's what makes reflux worse is the idea of like, you can reverse this. So it's like, oh my God, how do I reverse it? What if I ate that? Do I eat this? Whereas herpes, it's almost easier to be like, okay, that's the thing I have and that's that. Mm-hmm. And so I do think it, I think I'm pretty good with that. It's all just. Do I have cancer? I think sometimes I've thought this before where I'm obsessing over whether or not some spot on my skin is cancer or some oh, pain really? is bad. I would be I would do better if they were like, Yeah, yeah, you have skin cancer and here's what we're gonna yeah. do about yeah. it. Like it's almost Except, but then once it's funny, I bet the best period would be like the three months of when they're treating it, because then after then you'd be like, Well, is that spot a return you know, a recurrence? A- oh my god. For, I didn't even sure. think about that. <laughs> yeah, the only he would just have to perpetually be in treatment and then he would be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah's rethinking our marriage currently. <laughs> um but no, I mean like some th- the things that you can't uh, change are definitely to me easier to deal with because yeah. you're like, well, what am I going to do? Worry about a thing that I can't yeah. change Yeah. where most of my worries are things that I feel like I control, but that's a huge part of what I'm dealing with, with therapy and also sobriety is letting know, letting go of what you can't control, which right. is very difficult in understanding. Well, I always had this thought that I, uh, I thought in my mind, sometimes I wish I knew when we were talking about this earlier that when I was, when I was going to die, cause then I could 
figure out my life. Mm -hmm. Like there's a feeling of relief with that in a weird way of like, oh, I'll just go hang out with my friends and I don't have to work my shitty day job. And now I don't have to worry about, am I going to get spots at this club? Like I'll, my priorities will be. Right. It Which is, I should live my life that way. I always think it's very funny talking to comics about like, <laughs> man, if we knew that we were going to die in a year, we would quit comedy <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> we all fucking hate it secretly. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah it's in the way for sure. Of but, a lot also, of things. but also I think the way you're talking is as if you found out that like if somebody was like, you're going to die in five years or 10 years, maybe. But if somebody was like, you're going to die in 70 years. Yeah. Then you're like, well, fuck. Now I have 70 years to just still feel like and now I just have a normal life. <laughs> yeah, there's I always felt like there's probably a feeling of relief if you got if you were considered terminally ill. I mean, it's upsetting, <laughs> but there's got to be like okay, to all of our terminally ill <laughs> listeners. <laughs> you got a good. <laughs> but at least you're like, well, now I know what I got to do. Yeah. Right. Which is which, by the way, what you're describing is anxiety. It's yeah. like which is hard because like I we're obviously married. Like I have anxiety, but I'm like, I have outward anxiety. I keep being like, sure. what about this happens? This happens. And then you're like, so it feels like I'm so anxious. Then you say something like that. And I'm like, Oh, you're riddled with anxiety <laughs> that you're like, I wish I knew when I was going to die so I could live my life. <laughs> like that's all anxiety too. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's that thing of like, well, I have, I struggle with this too. I'm like, am I doing the most valuable thing right now? I have mm -hmm. a problem accepting what it is that I'm doing, which I talked to Vitor about yesterday or last week whenever you're listening to this but it's that thing of like i'm go i go to the movies i think we both have this sarah and i like when you go to the movies and you're like ah i should be working out right now oh yeah or then you're working out you're like i should be writing right now yeah. and it's so hard do you have that as Ab well absolutely okay great. i feel very lazy we, we want to know some flaws from oh you yeah here oh yeah i mean i look i'm a i've cheated in every major relationship except the one that i'm currently in does yeah. that does that work? yeah that's great no there we go. <laughs> yeah you yeah <laughs> um, Right, that's what we need to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah. appreciate that. Because we can't really love someone that's not flawed. No, of I mean, course not. No, I feel very, I feel lazy all the time. And I think I am actually not. I think I do actually do a lot of stuff, but I feel I constantly, or like if I, if I like let myself take an hour and just like go down an Instagram hole. Yeah. I am like, well, I could have been whatever, whatever. Yeah. Writing jokes or doing an Instagram poster. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember who. <laughs> it's funny to be like, I was on Instagram when I could have been on Instagram. <laughs> That's Sarah's, what she could have been doing instead of Instagram is. Watching when I could just be posting. Right, right. I could be cutting my my videos into little clips and, yeah. putting, and posting them, but instead I am but, just uh, looking at this woman's butt. A lot of that is also what a theme of this show is, is also and a problem I have is connecting to yourself and to what you're doing, where I realize this a lot in therapy where I'm like, I'm just lazy. I'm a piece of shit. I want to write a movie. I can't write. And then you have the realization of like, but I did do 600 sets this year yeah. and I've been on the road 45 weeks and I have two podcasts and I'm also in a relationship and I'm a good son and yeah. I have friends and it's like, Fine, oh, son. I am actually doing a lot of things oh someone's buzzing okay all right great thank you uh it's probably a mailman or something uh but anyways it's like a lot of it's trying to be connected to what you're actually doing like you're not lazy i mean you rode your you rode your bike here right that's not lazy right um you're creating material i assume i don't know your comedy that well yeah i assume you're making yeah. material yeah and it's doing well so and we're slightly distracted because sarah's <laughs> possibly getting murdered right now by a <laughs> Delivery guy. You good? 
Looks like she's good. Was that for us? What ah, son of a bitch. Um, she's back, but she looks different. Yes, she's changed. The delivery man kissed her on the lips, and it meant a lot. <laughs> um, okay, so wait. So you're obviously you are you're not lazy. You feel right. lazy. Yeah, I f- yeah, I feel lazy all the time. And also, I know that it's. Uh, I mean, a lot of it is now at this point. This is funny, actually. I've never quite put this together. A year ago or two years ago or four years ago, I felt lazy because I wasn't writing the pilot that I had the idea for and I wasn't writing sketches. We Sorry, we're down to one battery bar, but I think we're okay. That's uh, we're good. fine. Um, yeah, I felt lazy because there was so much stuff outside of the context of um, uh, of stand-up writing that I wasn't doing, but I was very good about writing stand-up pretty regularly. And I had like multiple people in Minneapolis who I had weekly writing dates with and it felt great. And then now I am, I wrote the pilot and I'm doing a massive overhaul of it right now. And I'm submitting to the New Yorker and I'm pitching to Comedy Central and whatever. But now I'm writing less stand up than I used to. And that makes me feel really lazy, particularly because I'm dating a comic who writes religiously every day and is such a Jeff is a stronger writer than I am. And so he can just like, think for 30 seconds and be like here boom and it's this like perfect really fun funny line and i i'm like god damn i have to write out i have to like write every word that comes out of my brain for an entire page and then i have one maybe two jokes on that page right yeah it's I have, like books with no jokes in it. yeah right it's usually <laughs> <you're> just... <laughs> i don't know these people that can create it from thin air i know it's my wild conversation or maybe doing the dishes I know it's wild, but to yeah. sit down at a table and write, I'm like, it can't be good. <laughs> well, a lot of times it's hard. I mean, like this would be like a, a separate conversation, but sometimes writing is almost can get in the way because it's like, then you're trying to go from brain to paper and then you're mm-hmm. on stage trying to remember what you wrote instead mm-hmm. of just remembering what it was. That was, that's funny. Um, right funny. On, right on stage. I do. And yeah. I have started doing that more and I, I like Better. it. It's, I remember years ago, I was like, I'll, I could never do that and I'll never be that person. And now I'm like, oh no, I like it so much more. Yeah. Well, that's the thing too, is that, um, again, sim- similar to feeling lazy where like for me personally, I'll be like, I haven't sat down and wrote in a while, but then I'm like, well, I do have several new bits that I kind of came up with and mm-hmm. made a note of it and then worked it out on stage. And, or and then, it. yeah, or tweet like you're still creating the material you're still coming up with Mm -hmm. stuff and you're still being creative and it's also like maybe you're just using this other creative outlet right now whether it's working on a show and doing podcasts and we're also creative people just in our lives a lot of times it's like yeah this may not be able to you can't do this on stage or it didn't get likes on instagram but you know sarah and i we improvised a scene or you had a great conversation which Mm -hmm. is still a creative endeavor is just having a quality conversation with somebody yeah so uh we're 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 creating we're doing great yeah i also when i got sober there was this book that was part it's not part of the 12-step program but it's part of their reading literature and Mm -hmm. it was um sober living living sober living sober and one of the things that made me feel good was just do one thing and i still Mm. live by that mantra of like I just need to get one thing done today and mm-hmm. then I've, I should feel completed. And it really does work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause sometimes you're like, there's no, cause there to- are days where you don't do anything and you're like, God damn. Then I like, yeah. And those are, those days are, you need those days to not do anything as well. They're just like recharging. So I guess I, I mean, there are days better. where I have a million things on a to-do list and I don't do a single one of them. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm so fucking, I'm worthless. Yeah. Whatever, whatever. 
Well, yeah. that's another thing I have too, where um, my therapist helps me with this, this podcast should be called my therapist, but he helps me with, he's like, I have this issue with anxiety where I think there's a right thing I should be doing. And mm-hmm. like to get rid of that thought is important of like, there is no, there's no thing that's written somewhere. Like God has like a book of like what Joe is supposed to be doing today. And he's like, well, you fucked it up. Santa. Yeah. Yeah. It's Santa, it's, it's Santa Claus. <laughs> and it's like where Santa is like, uh, he's supposed to be practicing the mandolin and he's watching Goodfellas again. Mm-hmm. Like there's no right or wrong answer. It's just life. You're just, you're doing your, you're creating your own life. So whatever you're doing right now, if you're listening, this is what you're supposed to be doing. You're where you're supposed you're to be. You're supposed to be listening to this podcast. Yeah. Goddamn right. You're supposed to be Instead and of just, picking up your kids. Yeah. And then you're supposed to be telling some friends about it so <laughs> I can uh, get some ad money and uh, capitalize. Um, with you. Oh, yeah. I don't need the mic when I'm agreeing with you in the yeah, background. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I'm sure I'm going to get a bunch of tweets being like, fuck you, get a third mic, you idiot. <laughs> you can't hear her. And it's going to be a whole thing. But hopefully more people are like, that really helped me. We're hoping to help people. Yeah. Um, I can, I, for me, last year was the first year that I ever like wrote a list of goals at the beginning of the year and the, ever in my life. And then throughout the year, I've checked back. Yeah. And it's very gratifying. Um, and I would say I've done, I've completed maybe half of them. I think I wrote 12 and I've done maybe six, maybe not even quite, but I've like made progress on almost all of them. Yeah, that's good. I think it's also important to pick uh, goals that are obtainable. Yes. And then doing the next best thing for that thing. Yes. Which I just listened to a, a podcast. One of Tim Ferriss had a guest on who was talking about this stuff of sort of like um, compartmentalizing stuff where a lot of times people anxiety comes from the desire to do something, but they don't even take the time to figure out what the proper first step is. Yeah. Where they're just like, I want to write a movie. And then they go, they just sit there going, Oh, I'm not writing a movie. But the first step might be to write down the characters or talk somebody or out. Like, like an idea for a plot. Yeah. Right. 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 Like right. what can I do to get towards this goal instead of just being like, fuck, I just didn't run the marathon again. Right. Where it's like, okay, today I can run three miles or whatever it is. These are obviously right. just random examples of things that I clearly wanted to do in my life. <laughs> I'm like, these are just random things that I, who knows, write a movie, run a marathon. Yeah, maybe hard I'd... to say. Well, I also think when you're doing goals, and I always fell in this um, a, a obstacle of it. My goals would be like, get on SNL. And you're like, that's not really. Uh, it's out of your control. That is out of my control. Yeah. But so I always feel like goals should be more like, I will create a new 10 minutes in the next two months. Yeah. That's tight. Or I will write a sketch. Yeah. And then, or just like, those are your goals rather than like, yeah, I'm going to get on SNL because I've never achieved any of those kinds of goals but i've inadvertently gotten goal like got other stuff yeah just by working on the five getting a good five minutes or something yeah i would even add to with getting a new 10 minutes i feel like even but not to be like i'm let me correct your goal but like i think an even better a goal would be like let me write every day for an hour because right even writing 10 minutes is almost out of your control as well because sometimes you write all day and it's like oh none of that actually is hitting where it's like, and now you're like, God damn it, I didn't come up with the 10 minutes of material where writing is something you're like, even if it's shit, if you're just writing my pants are blue, at least you are writing. So it's like, I think it's even more to break it down even yes. smaller to yeah. just like, let me write every day and then hopefully you have a new 10 minutes or 20 minutes. Yeah. Or even, and then, because it's also like, what if you have seven killer minutes 
And then you're like, fuck, I didn't meet my goal. But I didn't get but the meanwhile, 10 you have yet. seven. And then you feel like shit about it. And then you have that bit. Right. That's like, there's rednecks. <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? Like one of those top bits that everybody talks about. Oh, yeah. Your yeah. signature, your signature piece. But right. But you didn't get a signature piece I could think of. <laughs> yeah. Just rednecks. Well, this yeah. Chris Rock had one that uh, I'd rather not say out loud, but um, <laughs> that one was really great. Um, that probably wouldn't hold up well now, but that's a side topic that I've had this conversation on podcasts before but um but yeah, yeah but I think but I was reminded of that thinking of the like goals perspective when thinking of you saying like I don't I don't ever quite know what to be doing right now if I'm working out I should be doing this if I'm doing this I should be writing if I'm doing whatever that I think like for me it's been helpful to like on a broader time perspective be like oh this is a larger thing I generally want to be doing over the next year I generally want to be working on a pilot because two years ago when I would be like I should be working on a pilot it's like I didn't really need to be working on a pilot two years ago this year I should be and it was good that I did and so like that broader thing helped me shape like what should I be doing in any given moment well that's why too with like meditation and mindfulness stuff I'm like let me spend more time on this because everything else will benefit yes. from that. I feel that way with recovery as well sobriety of like let me do these things and take care of all this these mental problems that are in the way because the thing that's been the most in the way of my success and creativity has been anxiety and depression and yeah. panic so I'm like let me treat those things the most and then the material come just from the nature of me feeling good and not being worried about what's wrong if I have eyeball cancer I'll be more likely to be like oh that hotel clerk was weird let me trash her for no reason yeah, publicly whatever whatever the bit is you know what I mean self-aware of what you're you're just giving yourself more mental real estate yeah by taking away your anxieties I think yeah so I think working on those is like have you important. had that experience that working on your mental health and like emotional health has made everything else easier or better or yeah freer. definitely definitely i feel like um our relationship was always Sarah, very good but is i feel like our relationship is better sorry my um, i feel like our relationship is better than it's ever been all my relationships are better than they've ever been and i feel like i'm doing really good work on stage and i feel like this podcast is i feel like we're doing good work here yeah. currently now so um definitely and i feel healthier and i'm eating better so i, I definitely feel I feel the best I've felt creatively and spiritually, and I think it's the result of my spirituality. Sarah, you wanted to add something? Well, I was just saying, it's like we've always talked about when people always thought that you had to be depressed in order to create great yeah. content. And you're just like, we always say that I always write the most or come up with the funniest ideas when I'm the most happy. Mm. Yeah, I agree and I think completely. It's because you're not thinking of your bullshit. Yeah. So you're going down different avenues yeah it's like you gotta free your you gotta free yourself up for that stuff i mean that's like i said like i the, when i wasn't writing or creating stuff it's always been because i was drunk and anxious and yeah. losing my mind yeah um yeah when i'm in a funk i just feel like foggy like i don't feel like i can write i i feel like as much as i try to think okay what's funny about this what's funny about this answer the question i, I like can't I, I can't do it yeah it's not it's not good you have to like you have to be you have to free. Be, like have fun. Yeah. And you, you have to have yeah. fun. Fun is good. I mean, I feel like I mean, we have to wrap it up. And I think that's the uh, the lesson of this is that uh, life is to be enjoyed for God's sake. I mean, that's the thing I forget all the time, too. Not that I forget it. I First of all, I get mad at myself for not enjoying things more, which is 
silly. very silly. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> my therapist often says I have to have that mantra of like, where is the joy? These things should yeah. all be yeah. joyful. And which going back, looping it back to our parents, this happens a lot to me with like, and Sarah and I discuss this with both of our parents or both sets of our parents, whatever, whatever the proper English is there. Now I'm self, ever since you said that one word, I'm like, I'm so self-conscious <laughs> and I'm like, I'm an idiot rankle. Yeah. But that thing of like, we'll get our parents gifts and like, they don't enjoy it probably. My mother will be like, what am I going to do with this? This is too expensive. <laughs> and then it's like, t- there's no, there's no joy. She's not being like, wow, thank yeah. you for thinking of that. That's so cool. Yeah. It bec- a lot of things become, I've kind of inherited that of things are presented to me. They become problems. Like mm-hmm. I'll book the tonight show and I'm like, should I invite my parent? Who should I bring? Who shouldn't I bring? And mm-hmm. there's no joy there. So I'm trying to remind myself to uh, find the joy in things that should be joyful and then things that are not necessarily joyful. Yeah. Like even waiting for the train, there should be an amount of joy there where it's like, oh, the train is coming to take me where I want to go. Yeah. Um, or even like that crazy person is, instead of being frustrating, is funny. This, right. this situation, which should like, which in, and in certain moods, of course, I'm just driven up the wall by it. But in other moods, I can find it like totally delightful how insane it is. Oh, yeah. I get that's why I love office drama or just meeting crazy people. Yeah. Sometimes you're like, it is highly frustrating, but I do get a kick out thinking like, God, I would love to just watch this on the big screen. Yeah. Because this is so if fucking you can, funny. Yeah. Yeah. If you can lower the stakes of the scenario of if you can lower the stakes of how badly the scenario is going to impact you, as soon as the stakes are lowered, then it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also the one thing you can control is your perception of things. You actually can control that. Sometimes you have to be active about it or mindful with it of the train is delayed, but I get more time to read this book that I'm reading, or I get more time with whoever I'm on the train with right? or whatever. You can, you can control your perspective a little bit. Well, it's kind of like how your mom was doing processing time with that girl of like, she's probably mean because she's shy. Yeah. Or that I, if there's somebody that's being a, like I find being atrocious and I'm trying to figure out where they're coming from and then it makes you feel better yeah Yeah. we're actively trying to be less cynical but it's not always easy but that's from uh, how we were raised um okay so we gotta we gotta wrap up here do you have any uh parting wisdom or do you want to just plug some things know what your child mantra was do you remember i can't i remember i I mean i know both my mantras and we don't this is the most culty thing i'm about to say we don't share yeah you just told yeah yeah you just asked a vietnam vet if they killed people oh no it's okay you can (laughs) yeah i had no idea. No, that's no, no. So that's no. It's not offensive to ask at all. That's yeah. like a birthday. No, it is. When you're like, I can't tell you what my wish is, or it won't come true. Right. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my only thought of it that the way. only person who knows my mantras is my mom because she was the teacher. Okay. Um. And I don't know if she would remember them. Actually, I have no idea. Wow. You just fucked up so bad. Sarah. So bad. Um. Do you want to plug uh, your Twitter and Instagram? And sure. uh, do you have a podcast? Um, no, I don't. What uh, kind of comedian doesn't have a podcast? I know. Well, I'm desperately trying to start one and I'm uh, uh, struggling with a few of the logistics. Okay. All right. That's fair. Um, I don't, I only have two mics. That's my problem. Uh, um, wow, that's gross. I, uh, uh, Twitter and Instagram. I'm on Instagram. I'm Chloe dot Radcliffe on Twitter. I'm Chloe underscore Radcliffe. It was very annoying, but yeah. just type in Chloe Radcliffe and you'll find me. I'm the one with the birthmark. So if you see somebody with a thing on her face, that's me. That's you. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much for oh, doing it. Oh, and I'll it. be in uh uh denver and austin at the beginning of january so i'll post stuff about that might not be out by then hell yeah yeah the show hasn't started yet so this might come out this might come out in like june i have no idea (laughs) but at some point it will be out and uh 
yeah, go go see Chloe. Check out her stuff because she's uh she's wonderful and we love her and thank you. Great. We appreciate it. And thanks for allowing me to hijack your hangout. And thank you, Sarah. Sarah, do you want to plug your stuff? Stalamash on all of them. I feel like everyone that follows me knows yeah. you at this point. But uh yeah, check out Sarah Stalamash and her podcast Vag, V-A-D-G-E. It is hilarious. And it's with Adrian Appalucci, who's also great. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. I appreciate it. I love you. God loves you. And farts. Mindful Metal Jacket is hosted by comedian Joe List. Produced by Joe List. Edited by Matt Kleinschmidt. Executive producers Robert Kelly and Matt Kleinschmidt for the Laugh Button Podcasts.